Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our Wednesday reporters in Handan and Yoon Hae-jung. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. Uh, do we have your microphones on at this time? Yes, we do. Uh, we're going to start things off with the ongoing uh, cooperation between North Korea and Russia. We've been talking about how the two countries have been isolated all the more, uh, which gives them even more, uh, I guess, a reason to be closer and closer. Uh, we have North Korean Foreign Minister Che Son-hee holding talks with our counterpart Sergei Lavrov over in Moscow. Uh, the two reaffirmed close Pyongyang-Moscow cooperations discuss ways to take bilateral relations to a new net level. So, Donna, let's get the top story for t- this evening. Sure. During opening remarks, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov said the objective of their meeting is to implement agreements reached in September during a summit between the leaders of Russia and North Korea, assessing that the two countries' corresponding work is being carried out very closely and actively. He expressed hopes the meeting will lead to the next steps in implementing some agreements. Uh, During last year's summit, Putin expressed his intention to help North Korea develop a satellite and Kim Jong-un inspected several Russian military facilities, raising the possibility of an arms deal. And on Tuesday, Secretary of North Korean Workers Party Cho Chun-yong, who oversees production of the state's conventional artillery, was also present at the meeting between Lavrov and Choi Son-hee, hinting that the top diplomat may have discussed details of arms cooperation. Choi Sun-hee echoed Lavrov's claims, saying that recent agreements made between North Korea and Russia are starting to yield tangible results. She vowed that the North will make all efforts to strictly implement Kim Putin summit agreements. She added that Kim's visit to Russia paved the way to create a new milestone in the fight against military threats and provocations by, quote-unquote, the unified imperialist forces. Che said the meeting with Lavrov is important to take bilateral relations to a new level and expressed confidence in achieving good results. Lavrov also slammed the U.S., saying its policy failure is posing a security threat to North Korea and escalating tensions in the region. He said Russia will continue to urge the renunciation of any steps that could further raise tensions. He also thanked North Korea for its support in Russia's fight against Ukraine, stressing that Russia will, without a doubt, always support North Korea at the United Nations, highlighting the importance of the two countries' cooperation on the global stage. And certainly we have seen that, uh, especially at the UN Security Council uh, meetings, when uh, a number of times that uh, the member states had tried to impose UNSC sanctions on North Korea, of course, China and Russia, both with uh, uh, as permanent members with the veto powers. They have used that on a almost on a regular basis there. Uh, as we talked about with uh, Dr. Kwon Myung-hyun yesterday, it seems like it's just kind of a regular visit by Chesani to Russia. Nothing really special aside from the fact that it's just a, a follow-up trip. And it seems like a lot of these high officials from both countries have been visiting respective countries as well. But Kim Jong-un did invite President Putin to Pyongyang uh, when they met 
last year at Far East Asia. Was there any mention of Putin's potential visit to Russia? Well, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said that Putin's visit to North Korea may take place in the foreseeable future, and the timing of such a visit will be further coordinated uh, via diplomatic channels. Yeah, it is always kind of difficult to organize this, and we'll see what happens. But what we did also see following uh, the meeting between Russia, uh, sorry, uh, North Korean Foreign Minister Chesoni and her Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov. Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin met with the North Korea's top diplomat amid deepening military cooperations between the two countries. Hejong, uh, let's get more on this latest meeting. What do you have for us? Right. Uh, during the official three-day visit to Russia, North Korean Foreign Minister Choi Sun-hee has uh, been to Russia at Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov's invitation. Now, the trip did come amid deepening military cooperation between the two countries, with the North providing Russia with arms uh, for its war in Ukraine in exchange for Russia providing technical assistance for Pyongyang's uh, weapons programs. And after the meeting with Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, uh, Choi Sun-hee also met with Russian President Vladimir Putin. And during this meeting with the country's leader, Choi briefed Putin about her earlier meeting with the Russian foreign minister. Now, no specific details were given regarding the talks, but the arms deals um, uh, is one of the possible items on the agenda, as well as Putin's potential visit to Pyongyang, like Tan mentioned. So probably a lot of overlap with what she discussed with the Russian foreign minister. And in a video footage released by Russia's state-run media, Putin was shown shaking hands with Che for more than 10 seconds, but the content of their conversation was not disclosed. Closed. Now, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov also met with Kim Jong-un during his visit to North Korea in October last year, which was unprecedented. And considering that the Kremlin called the North its closest neighbor and partner, uh, yesterday's meeting is also seen as a further sign of closer ties between North Korea and Russia. It's both interesting and, and, and worrisome as well that there's a whole lot of uh, discussions taking place between North Korea and Russia. And again, we don't know really the the real details of the discussions. All we see is what they say to the media, that they're going to continue to collaborate together and stick together while the, the rest of the world is kind of going against them. But one of the things that we saw, uh, especially on Sunday, right, uh, with the intermediate range ballistic missile was that North Korea was able to test fire. Uh, not only was it an IRBM, uh, and not only was it a solid fuel IRBM, but it was a hypersonic one, right? And so I think it was back in 2022, I believe, uh, that North Korea said it had conducted a test on their hypersonic uh, ballistic missile using uh, liquid fuel technology at the time. But even some of the experts were saying North Korea at the time did not have real hypersonic missile technology. And the only country, I believe, one of the few countries that actually does have hypersonic missile is Russia. And so with the Joint Chiefs of Staff and I believe also the Defense Minister Shin Wan-shik coming out uh, on Tuesday in a radio interview saying that uh, it seems like North Korea has developed a solid fuel 
intermediate ballistic missile with hypersonic missile technology. It is very worrisome, and whether or not they got the technology from Russia is the other question here. Uh, in the meantime, South Korea, the U.S. and Japan conducting trilateral naval drills in waters off Jeju Island this week involving nuclear-powered U.S. aircraft carrier Carl Vinson. Uh, this does mark the second deployment of the uh, the aircraft carrier on the Korean Peninsula in two months. Uh, Tan, let's get uh, more on this. Well, in their latest show of strength against North Korea, Seoul, Washington, and Tokyo conducted combined naval exercises in waters off Korea's southernmost Jeju Island. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said the trilateral naval drills, which completed its three-day program today, involved nine warships, including nuclear-powered aircraft carrier USS Carl Vinson and Aegis destroyers from South Korea and Japan. Typically, around five ships are mobilized for the three countries' trilateral naval drills, but it was scaled up this time around, and according to the South Korean military, it actually marked the largest scale uh, of their trilateral naval drills to date. Also in a rare move, the USS Carl Vinson was redeployed to Korea just two months after it sailed to the peninsula. The USS Carl Vinson is a Nimitz-class nuclear-powered aircraft carrier that's known to be equipped with about 90 aircraft, including the latest stealth fighter F-35C Super Hornet fighter FA-18, Hawkeye, early warning aircraft E-2C, and anti-submarine aircraft S-3A. On the first day of the exercise, uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman uh, Kim Myung-soo visited the aircraft carrier to highlight the importance of the trilateral drill, vowing to step up the combined posture in accordance uh, with the multi-layer exercise plan. It marked the first trilateral drill held after uh, Washington and its Asian allies launched a real-time sharing system for North Korea's missile launches and agreed to jointly establish a multi-year, uh, multi-layer exercise plan to better counter Pyongyang's evolving threat. The exercise was aimed at sharpening the three countries combined deterrence and response capabilities against North Korean nuclear missile and underwater threats, and also training for preventing illicit maritime transports of weapons of mass destruction. The drills came as inter-Korean tensions reached their highest point in recent years, with Kim Jong-un redefining South Korea as the principal enemy. And the North also, like you mentioned, SJ, test-launched what's believed to be a solid-propellant hypersonic IRBM. Yeah, still, uh, you know, one of the things that amongst the the remarks made by North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, the one that was really concerning was uh, him basically saying that North Korea is not going to hold back and taking over South Korean territory should there be a war, uh, which is... I think Kim Jong-un has been holding back on these strong rhetorics. It's always been his sister, right, Kim Yo-jung, who made these uh, harsh rhetorics. But for Kim Jong-un to come out and say this, I think it just kind of puts you in a different level of tensions on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, Speaking of which, because of the ongoing situation with uh, North Korea, you have the top nuclear envoys of South Korea, the U.S. and Japan, set to hold talks on North Korea's recent military provocations and its growing ties with Russia in Seoul tomorrow on Thursday. Hejung, let's get more on this. Right. According to Seoul's foreign ministry, special representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, Kim Gon, will meet with his U.S. and Japanese counterparts 
Prince Jeongbak and Hiroki Namatsu for three-way talks in Seoul on Thursday. Bilateral talks will also take place between the Korea-Japan and Korea-U.S. representatives. Uh, today, Kim Gon held talks with his Japanese counterpart, which will be followed by a separate one-on-one -on -one talk with Kim Gon and Jeongbak on Thursday morning. Seoul's foreign ministry said that the chief representatives of the three countries will share their assessments on the situation of the Korean Peninsula, including Pyongyang's recent provocations, its military cooperation with Moscow, and discuss response measures. Of course, the three representatives are going to discuss the North Korean foreign minister Choi son visit to Russia as well. And this meeting will be the first since Song Kim, the former U.S. special representative for North Korea, recently retired, and Jong Bak, the former deputy special representative for North Korea, uh, took over his duties. On a side note, upon Song Kim's retirement, the U.S. changed the title of the representative in charge of North Korean nuclear issues from Special Representative for the DPRK to Senior Official for the DPRK. The U.S. explained that Jong Bak would take over all the duties of Song Kim, but just with the title change. But some political experts are saying that the appointment of Jong Bak, a deputy representative replacing Song Kim, who has served as ambassador to the South Korea, the Philippines, and Indonesia, uh, signals that the U.S. government is putting less weight on North Korean issues. In the meantime, this is the first time in three months that the three countries' top nuclear envoys are meeting since October last year. The three countries have been holding talks on a regular basis, the last meeting taking place in Jakarta when former U.S. Representative Song Kim was serving as ambassador to Indonesia. Now, one of the uh, the major changes that we've seen when it comes to North Korea-related issues uh, since the start of the conservative UN administration is that uh, they've been slapping uh, sanctions, uh, unilateral sanctions uh, on North Korea. And we saw more of that happened uh, this time. South Korea slapping independent sanctions on 11 vessels engaged in North Korea's illegal ship-to-ship -ship transfers, uh, really showing a strong resolve uh, to block the North's continued procurement of illegal funds and materials through the sea. Uh, Tom, let's get more on this. Right. South Korea imposed independent sanctions on 11 <laughs> vessels, two individuals and three entities uh, with suspected links to North Korea's weapons development. The newly blacklisted targets have mostly been involved in illegal energy smuggling at sea, according to Seoul's foreign ministry. The names of the 11 vessels include Nandaebong, New Konk, Unica, and Gyeongsong-3. The vessels are suspected of involvement in the transshipment with North Korean ships, smuggling of refined oil and coal into the North, and supplying, selling, and transferring goods to and from the North. All the vessels have been specified in the UN Panel of Experts reports from the Security Council Sanctions Committee on North Korea. The panel has recommended seven of them to be added to the UN sanctions list. South Korea is the first country to sanction all the vessels 
except for New Kong and Unica. The sanction also marks the country's first independent sanction slapped on ships in nearly eight years. The two North Koreans under the sanction are Park Kyung-nan of the Korea Pixel Trading Corporation and Min Myung-hak, an executive at Disang Trading, both of whom have known to be involved in illegal ship-to-ship transfers and sending of North Korean workers. Along with Disang Trading, Mangang Trading and Yua Trading were also designated as the three entities subject to the sanctions. The three entities have been involved in the smuggling of oil, exports of coal, and the import of used ships. The sanctioned vessels require special approval from South Korean authorities to enter a port in the country. The individuals and entities are banned from any financial or foreign currency transactions unless they obtain prior approval from the central bank or financial regulators. This marks the UN administration's 15th independent North Korea sanction, and the government vowed more on individuals and institutions involved in illegal maritime transshipment networks. We're going to move on to uh, domestic politics this time and some policies under the (laughs) UN administration. Uh, One of the things that they've been pushing for is uh, easing regulations uh, when it comes to trading stocks. Uh, here in the country. And uh, we got, uh, I guess, new policies that they're pushing for here because the government said they're going to be working to scrap a plan on the capital gains tax on investments while cutting a tax on stock transactions to 0.15% by 2025. Uh, Hye let's get the latest re- uh, updates on this. Right. Today, President Yoon Suk-yeol presided over a series of policy debates involving the government and members of the public. The session doubled as the Financial Services Commission's policy report to the president. During this meeting, a number of updates in the financial sector were announced, and here the government focused on increasing the overall wealth of people through capital markets. First, the government uh, decided to scrap a plan on the tax on financial investments, which was originally scheduled to be introduced in 2025. The financial investment income tax charges 20% of your investment income as tax if your investment income exceeds 50 million won or 37,000 US dollars for stocks. And the tax rate gets higher on other types of assets or if you earn more money. The National Assembly had previously postponed the implementation of this tax by two years from 2023 to 2025 due to a backlash from individual investors who said that the overall stock market would suffer as the so-called big players in the market would leave. But this time the government formalized scrapping this tax policy altogether. Uh, But on the other hand, the stock exchange tax will be decreased as originally scheduled. So the securities transaction tax will be reduced from 0.18% this year to 0.15% next year. In the meantime, President Yoon also said that the government will expand eligibility for individual savings accounts or ISAs and raise the limit on the non-taxable amount. The individual savings account investment cap will be doubled from 20 million won per year to 40 million won per year. And people can save up to 200 million won in this account, which is roughly 149,000 U.S. dollars. 
The Financial Services Commission said it will work to expand the wealth of ordinary citizens and help reduce their financial burdens as part of its policy objectives this year that include more than $157 billion U.S. dollars in financial support. The government will also seek to reduce the burden of interest on, uh, on the people while limiting the rise in household debt. To this end, the government will work with local banks and non-bank lenders to have them refund a total of 2 trillion won, which is roughly $14 billion they have collected in interest payments. Under this proposed plan, some 1.87 million people who have taken out loans from banks may receive up to 3 million won each, while those who have borrowed money from non-bank lenders, such as credit unions and saving banks, may get up to 1.5 million won, which is roughly $1,100 each in refunds. Yeah, I mean, a a lot of people have taken out uh, massive mortgages, right, uh, over the past few years uh, when the... Uh, borrowing rates were near zero and they were buying houses and uh, interest rates went up and uh, for what I understand for many people out there the the interest the amount that they're paying in interest is like double triple even quadruple the principal uh, that they need to pay in and so they're they're really struggling to pay off all of this and it's, it seems like uh, despite the fact that uh, things have eased uh, you know we're not seeing the key interest rates uh, cut anymore uh, cut any further and the the rates are still very high uh, but the deposit rate that they're receiving the people that put in the money uh, are it's not going up and so there's a lot of very upset people out there uh, this is an interesting one after years of controversy the fate of these so-called elite high schools in Korea have been determined uh, the education ministry on Tuesday said that it will keep those schools and retain their status but on a few conditions. Uh, Don, let's get the details of this. Sure. To give an overview of what these schools are and what's been happening, elite high schools mostly refer to foreign language high schools, autonomous private high schools, and international high schools. Those schools were created to enhance student learning depending on their needs, talent, and level of academic advancement, but often were at the center of debate with some groups arguing that they only fuel excessive private education. And abolishing these elite schools was a key task of former uh, Moon Jae-in administration, which claimed that these schools have lost their original purpose of offering specialized education and selected subjects and have become a mere springboard for entering top universities. The administration had revised the pre-college education enforcement ordinance to shift these schools to general schools from 2025. But President Yoon Seung-yeol has been seeking to scrap the amendment, promising to guarantee the right of choice for students and parents while ensuring diverse education within public education. And on Tuesday, the education ministry deleted the amended clause of the pre-college education ordinance to maintain those elite schools as is. But on a few conditions, though, first, those elite schools have to continue holding entrance exams in the second half of the year in December, to be exact, like other general schools do. And this is to prevent overheated entrance competition. Second, Those schools need to continue their operation of the self-led learning system and prohibit curriculum knowledge evaluation to curb private education spending. 
Third, autonomous private high schools will have to introduce a 20% local student quota to fulfill their social responsibilities. So these schools have to select at least 20% of their uh, entire student population uh, in in the, the, the local area that they're located at. And fourth, all of those schools will be subject to tighter evaluation on school operation and educational achievements and will be required to submit plans to make improvements according to evaluation results. But loud controversy is expected to continue on with some civil groups already up in arms uh, claiming that they'll take collective action uh, with Seoul uh, Education Superintendent Cho Hyun already uh, slamming this uh, new revision saying the government is not taking soaring private education expenses seriously. Yeah, I remember uh, when this was brought up initially like again, like you said, during the previous Moon Jae-in administration at the time I was uh, working uh, part-time stuff at, uh, where is it, uh, Mokdong. And mm. uh, Mokdong is like... Oh, one of the fiercest hagwon streets. Yeah, you have the, the major hagwon areas, and uh, Mokdong is one of them. And then I remember there was like a group of uh, uh, mothers walking around asking to sign petitions against the, uh, the Moon administration's push to abolish uh, elite high schools because what these parents wanted was for their kids to go to these elite right. high schools, right? And this is why they're sending all these kids to these academies and the private education and so forth. But that's kind of like the, the big thing that they're trying to call at the time, which also sort of goes hand in hand with kind of the UN administration's push to... I guess get less reliance on the private education, but if you're saying that you need to take exams uh, to get into these elite high schools, what's going to happen is everyone's going to start paying money to send them to academies, right? I remember like when I had to, what is it? Uh, even in New York, there's the, the specialized science high schools, and you have to mm. take an exam for that. And I know all the Korean parents are sending their kids to uh, prepare for that exam and stuff like that. But it's also very similar to uh, what my school was doing, the 20% thing. But that also leads to other social issues. Because when you have that twenty percent quota, and then you have the eighty percent who got into t- uh, who got in through the test and stuff like that, it 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 creates groups, <laughs> and uh, there's it, it it's it's ugly. Uh, my school had this; they had a twenty percent quota for the local students, and it, it wasn't too good. Uh, but anyways, we'll see what happens. I think any times uh, education uh, related stuff comes out, it does become a very controversial issue. Uh, in the meantime, main opposition DP leader Lee Jae Myung returning to work on Wednesday, just fifteen days. Uh, after he was stabbed in a knife attack and underwent emergency surgery. Uh, e presided over a Supreme Council meeting at the National Assembly for his first official schedule. Uh, looking relatively uh, healthy. Uh, Hejung, uh, do tell us what the DP leader had to say on his first day back uh, at work. Right. Upon his arrival at the National Assembly, DP leader Lee Jae-myung told reporters that it feels... New coming to the National Assembly and meeting the press, and that what he has experienced is trivial compared to the pain uh, experienced from real hardships by people. He also thanked everyone who helped his recovery and vowed to fulfill his responsibilities as party leader. He viewed the incident as an example of the crisis in democracy and emphasized that the country's affairs, including people's livelihoods and foreign affairs and security, had fallen into a total crisis and appealed to voters to correct it. uh, As his first official schedule, Lee presided over a Supreme Council meeting. The meeting room 
uh, meeting room's background phrase changed to read again for a new beginning, as if it was implying the leader's will. During the meeting, Lee underscored the party's commitment to passing judgment on the government of President Yoon Seok-yeol in the April elections. He specifically noted, uh, uh, noted and pointed out that the law, which is supposed to be equal to all citizens, have become a privilege for certain people. This, of course, implying the intensified investigations against himself and other opposition figures, while, uh, while the government and the ruling PPP have been slow to look into the allegations of the stock price manipulation by uh, First Lady Kim Gon-hee. Lee devoted more than half of his re- half of his remarks to criticizing the Yoon administration, and he suggested unity as a keyword to win the elections. The DP leader mentioned ex-prime minister slash former chairman of the DP Inagyeon and other members leaving the party, and stressed that it was a shame how many defected from the party despite his efforts for party unity. Now, such remarks seem to have been triggered by a sense of urgency that any further defections within the DP could be detrimental to the party's chances in the run-up to the general election. Yeah, at the same time, you can kind of argue that the reason why a number of them left the party was because of, I guess, Lee Jae-myung, right? That you started having this factions. You had the pro-Lee Jae-myung faction within the DP. You had the anti-Lee Jae-myung faction uh, within the DP. And the, the ones that were, although there was sort of a larger number of the anti-Lee Jae-myung faction, none of them kind of came out except for like four of them. Them. They call themselves the Principles and Common Senses, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then three of them left the party. They formed a, a new party. And then we know that Lee Nagyeon, former DP leader and former prime minister, is probably going to also create a new party. We know that Lee Jun-suk is for, has already formed a new party. Uh, and so when you have these three new parties, potentially the, the experts are saying it will probably take the votes out of the DP more than the PPP is what they're saying. And so it, it doesn't look good. And uh, it Going leading up to the April general elections, I think it's going to get quite interesting. And of course, as we tell all of our listeners out there, we'll keep a close tab. Any updates on this, we'll cover on the program. Uh, let's move on to other issues here. The World Economic Forum, uh, also called the Davos Forum, because it's being held at the Swiss Alpine town of Davos. Uh, we have Prime Minister Han Duk Su attending the forum, stressing the importance of nuclear energy in dealing with climate change and contributing to energy security. Uh, Don, let's get more on this. Sure. Prime Minister Han attended two sessions on nuclear energy and artificial intelligence, where he presented South Korea's capabilities and policy in the two sectors as one of the main speakers. He highlighted Korea's contributions to achieving decarbonization and sustainable development through clean nuclear energy, saying nuclear energy is crucial in tackling climate change and enhancing energy security. Han also encouraged the international community's participation in the use of carbon-free energy sources as previously proposed by President Jun Sung-yeol. In the session held under the theme AI, the Great Equalizer, Han participated as a panelist and discussed issues related to ensuring equal access to AI technology. He also introduced Korea's Bill of Rights and didn't forget to mention that Korean companies will play a leading role in the field of AI. The Prime Minister also held 
held a bilateral meeting with Vietnamese Prime Minister Pan Min Chin on the sidelines. The two discussed ways to further develop strategic partnership, touching upon regional and global security issues. And in the meantime, the world leaders put their heads together uh, to tackle global security challenges at the Davos Forum as uh, tensions reach their new highs in many parts of the globe. We've been talking about tensions still going on over in Ukraine, Middle East, uh, in the uh, Asia Pacific. Uh, Tan, let's get the latest on this. Tackling global security challenges uh, took center stage uh, at this year's World Economic Forum. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky pleaded for further support, to which Western nations reaffirmed their commitment to continue helping Ukraine's fight. Zelensky made an impassioned plea for international support for his country's war against Russia, insisting that Vladimir Putin must live to regret starting the conflict almost two years ago. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said Ukraine can prevail in this war, but the world must continue to empower their resistance. She said Ukrainians need predictable financing throughout this year and beyond, and a sufficient and sustained supply of weapons to defend Ukraine and its regain its uh, rightful territory. Global leaders and high-ranking political figures also discussed rising tensions in the Red Sea. Qatar's Prime Minister Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdulrahman Al Thani stated that the situation in the Middle East is a recipe for escalation everywhere and warned against just focusing on the symptoms and not treating the real issue. He said that the root cause of that crisis was the Israeli bombardment and invasion of Gaza itself. And the Red Sea crisis will not be diffused without first resolving the Gaza crisis. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that although U.S. and British troops have recently struck Houthi rebels, uh, the U.S. seeks to ease tensions in the Middle East. World leaders uh, called for more diplomatic efforts to ease tensions in the Red Sea, saying a military confrontation will not contain the Houthi attacks. North Korea's evolving threats was also brought to the table. Sullivan said that along with the war in Ukraine and escalating tensions in the Middle East, he's also deeply concerned about North Korea threats. NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg also expressed worries over Russia-North Korea military cooperation, saying we must not underestimate Russia's military power and its use of North Korean ballistic missiles and Iranian drones. See, the concerning thing is that, uh, you know, many experts are saying what's going on right now in the Middle East. It's, it's, it's just expanding too much, too far right now. Uh, what started off with just an armed conflict between Israel and Hamas, as we talked about, goes into the Red Sea. We have the Yemeni Houthi rebels involved with this as well. Uh, but one of the things that uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, I think, mentioned uh, recently was that he believes that the armed conflict, we call it, he calls it a war, right? He calls it war uh, in, in Gaza, uh, is going to last until 2025. So at least another year is what he's saying. But another year of what's going on in Gaza is very uh, concerning, but also what's going on in the Middle East, right? Because it's already expanded to other countries, right? In, in Yemen, we saw uh, over in Lebanon as well, and Iran is getting involved with this. And so how much further uh, is this going to get bigger is the big question. So 
scary stuff that's going on right now. Uh, let's talk about China this time because the Chinese economy grew 5.2% last year as the economy entered the living with COVID phase. Uh, I guess this is uh, certainly some good news for the Korean firms that are operating in China as well. Uh, Hedron, you're going to wrap us up with some figures here. Right. China's GDP grew 5.2% on year in 2023, according to data released today by China's National Bureau of Statistics. But while China achieved its target of around 5% growth, there are still risks lingering in the Chinese economy, such as shrinking domestic demand, the real estate market slump, and deflation. Yesterday at the Davos Forum, Chinese Premier Li Chang did predict that China's economic growth will reach 5.2%, meeting the country's target of around 5%. The numbers were also in line with yesterday's Bloomberg's growth forecast of 5.2%, as well as earlier estimates from the IMF of 5.4%, OECD's 5.2%, and the World Bank's 5.1%. And China's GDP also grew 5.2% year-on-year in the fourth quarter of last year. As such, Korean companies in China are more optimistic about doing business in the region this year compared to last year. According to a survey answered by 217 companies in China, the Business Sentiment Index, or the BSI for 2024, recorded 121, up 14 points from the 107 the previous year. The BSI is calculated on a scale of 0 to 200. A reading above 100 indicates a higher number of positive respondents, while a reading below 100 indicates a high number of pessimists. Uh, By company size, the sales outlook for large enterprises stood at 125, rising for the second consecutive year, while the number number for SMEs recorded 121, reaching the highest in six years. However, on prospects for the sluggish domestic demand in China, the surveyed companies generally believed that uh, China's economy will not improve until the second half of this year. You know, what's funny is uh, with uh, China achieving its target uh, range, uh, a lot of experts were saying initially when they gave out their forecast, they kind of gave it a very low forecast uh, so that they're able to reach it no matter what. And so we already knew that they were going to have better numbers that they initially figured. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, the world, uh, the global economy is certainly very reliant on what happens in China as well. Guys, thank you very much for your reports. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you guys again. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.